0: Today's guest is Rev. David McGinley. Rev. McGinley is an ordained minister with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. He's a four-time cancer survivor and a near-death experiencer. He's the author of the book, Beyond Surviving Cancer and Your Spiritual Journey, and he was featured in the documentaries Here Right Now and When You Die. David, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today.
1: Well, it's cool to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. My audience loves to hear about near-death experience stories, so could we please start at the beginning of yours and how it happened?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, let's dive in. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I, I've had cancer four times, and not the kind of cancer that spreads out and uh, can compromises your your body's functions and systems. Uh, mine is called uh, perineuraloma it's also known as pheochromocytoma. So imagine a time bomb sitting inside of you. And this tumor is making a Molotov cocktail of chemicals like Mm -hmm. dopamine and norepinephrine. And when your adrenal gland activates for any reason, right, for joy, or excitement or exercise or fear and anxiety, it's that that's a fuse. And it causes the tumor to blow. Mm. So Most people die from parynganglioma in under a minute. Uh, It causes the blood pressure to skyrocket massively. Your blood vessels burst. You have a heart attack. Uh, It just totally overloads your your, um, your circulatory system. So uh, you don't waste away with this kind of cancer, but you do have um, smaller explosions until before the big one. And for a long time, I've had the small ones that just give you what feels like a panic attack, cramps in the stomach, sweating, heart palpitations. It, it feels just lousy. And uh, I passed out many times from this, mm-hmm. having what's called a vasovagal reaction. Mm-hmm. So I've had this four times since I was 17. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, 27, it was my second uh, tumor, and it was uh, on the femoral artery so uh, when it blew, the metabolites rapidly went into my system and were were circulating through me in a matter of uh, less than two seconds. I was actually doing a church service. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was in a hospital chapel, right? I, I would do that uh, once a month. And um, I felt the tumor activate. I felt my heart pound. I felt the sweat. And I had tried every time during the smaller explosions to get that under control, to breathe deep, to lean into it, to try and, you know, override the sympathetic nervous system to get control back. But this time it was too big. And I collapsed. Now, I like to joke that I put a lot of people unconscious on Sunday mornings, but it's no good when the minister collapses. Uh, And uh, of course, it's That's pretty scary for the patients and families and everyone in the service. And they're like, what on earth happened? I just went down. Suddenly, I found myself in a different realm. Now, I I didn't have a tunnel experience. I didn't see that light and go to it as is common with NDEs. But I did find myself in another place that was utterly ordinary in uh, how I describe it, but extraordinary in how I experienced it. Hmm. I was on a grassy hill. Uh, I could feel every blade of grass as it moved. I could feel the light pouring into me and through me. The light was emanating from everything. It was astonishingly um, more real than this reality. I felt uh, incredibly congruent and whole and authentic. There wasn't any aspect of myself that I was suppressing. There was nothing in the subconscious. There was no split between that and the ego. I was whole and complete. I was fully present in the moment and fully held by that presence, which I just can only describe as love. There was a tree at the top of the hill, and I wanted to run to that. I was aching to reach that tree, and I knew I got to that tree I would never come back here. So right away I knew that I there was a here and there was a there or a this and a that. I um I cannot describe the the exuberance, the exhilaration, the the joy beyond Anything I've experienced, I was like a 10-year-old at Christmas morning and I was jumping up and down ecstatic and I just kept saying over and over, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home. And um, it was cool, that tree, the branches seemed to be drinking in the light. It seemed I could feel how it was rooted into the the earth and um, there was an adventure to be had and I was just revving to go for it, mm. but I couldn't. There was someone there. Now, it was a masculine figure, entity. Um, If you were to ask me what he looked like, I actually couldn't tell you. It didn't seem important at the time to look at him and get a description. He felt like my best friend. Uh, He felt like someone I've known all my life and who knew knew me to the bone, right, to the core. And we had this remarkably casual conversation. I said, I'm home. And he said, "Yep, it's great to see you, David. Hmm. And I could feel this warmth from him. And I said, come on, come on, let's run to the tree. Like, like I was a little boy with my best friend. And he said, you you can't go up there. Well, let's, let's just talk. And so we walked. And when I say walked, I felt ground beneath my feet. I felt my form, which was human. I felt very much me, but more me than I've ever felt here. And we talked about my life. I don't remember much of the details of that conversation, but I remember the key points, which were, it's great to see you, you're doing well, things are going fine, but you have a lot of work to do and you can't stay here, so you have to go back. I rejected that. As so many people who have an NDE do, they, I said, no, I'm not going back there. Why would I go back? I'm, I'm home. I'm, I'm finally here. This is what I've been longing for. And he said, yeah, but you have more to do. You're not ready to be here. And I'm like, I'm brushing that off. Come on, let's go to the tree. And then I, I felt this seriousness, this intent that was nonetheless filled with compassion and love, kind of an endearing affection you would have for a kid who doesn't want to go to bed. Mm. That's what I felt from him. And he just emphasized, you have work to do. We will be with you. And I I felt my heart sink, right? As if that's possible there, but it is. And and I, I just, I knew I wasn't going to win the argument. And I said, please, don't, don't send me back. You, You can't send me back. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and he poured this love and understanding into me and he smiled and he said, it's going to be okay. We'll be with you. We'll see you later. Boom, I'm back. Which is the most miserable part of a near-death experience. It's the return to this, this flesh and bone, this muck, uh, the pull of gravity, I felt it immediately. The density of flesh, the poverty of my words and thoughts, the way they must run in a linear fashion and are grossly inadequate to express what you're trying to communicate. There, the communication was instant and consciousness to consciousness, and yet it wasn't all at once. It still had a linear feel to it. But here, it is uh, communication is abysmal. And um, when you move from this state of consciousness to one so expansive, and then you're compressed back into this one, uh, it kind of messes you up. And it leaves you grieving and homesick for what you saw. The doctor rolled me on my back. Right, I was in a hospital, so a doctor and a nurse were right there. Apparently, my heart had stopped, and I was gone for 15 minutes. Um, I heard their voices coming like out of a fog as you adapt to the embodied form once again and uh, i heard them say david are you are you alright and i i opened my eyes and i i apologized right so quickly i'm back in my ego identity and I, I said i'm sorry i'm sorry i scared everyone i'm sorry i passed out because i had passed out many times from the tumor never during a church service And um, they took my vitals, they wrapped me in a blanket, they didn't see a concussion, the heart was working fine, and they just chalked it up to a young seminary student, a young student minister having an anxiety attack. They wrapped me in a blanket, got my blood sugar, you know, up with a bit of orange juice, and they sent me home where I crawled into bed, and I grieved for a long time. I didn't tell anyone. You'd think I would. <laughs> You'd think I'd get up in the pulpit the next Sunday and say, I, I stepped on the, the 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 porch of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what to do with this. You immediately begin to wonder, was it real? It feels like a dream, but it doesn't. It, that's the only correlation you have, right? But it's so real and you can't shake it. I didn't tell anyone for years. Uh, it it takes many years to integrate these sort of things unless you have good professional support mm. i um i feel like that was back in 1988 right i feel like i am doing the homework right uh, i was i was 27 years old now i'm 57 30 years ago and um the the road i've been on ever since has been interesting and bumbling along, but leading to some profoundly beautiful and meaningful work. And um, I'm grateful now as I look back that they sent me Mm. back here to earth. And um, I look forward to when I go home one day.
0: I have so many questions to ask. I'm not even sure where to start. Let's first start with this, though. I want to kind of clear it up for myself a little bit about your cancer. It's triggered by emotional the emotional states and it, and through your adrenal gland, but it sounds like when it does actually surface, it can surface anywhere in your body.
1: I yeah, think. my first one was in my first was in the dome of my bladder when I was seventeen. Then it showed up in my femoral artery at twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Then in the ureter that goes down from my right kidney into my bladder, and then the fourth one was in my lymph nodes, mm-hmm. sort of in my gut. It can appear. Uh, in the heart, it can the tumors can grow in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority of these grow on the adrenal glands, mm-hmm. because it's a it's a it's an, a type of um, uh, it's a type of cancer that arises from the endocrine system, mm-hmm. uh, and, and those cells grow out of control. Mm-hmm. So most people, when it's on the adrenal gland, it's called pheochromocytoma. Or It's called yeah, pheochromocytoma, and they just take out your adrenal glands, and you're done. It's good. Only 10% grow elsewhere in the body, mm-hmm. and only 10% of those are malignant, and only 10% of those are recurrent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And here I am, four times around with a malignant parynganglioma. I'm a lucky man.
0: Okay. Let's move on to your NDE. Who do you think the person or the being was that was with you? Well,
1: because I'm a Christian minister, right, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And if your listeners aren't familiar with what Lutheran is, it's, it's like Anglican, or I like to say it's Catholic light, okay. right? So our, our, our church services, I wear the robe, we have the sacraments, right? There's vestments, there's the, the chanting and the, um, the liturgy. So it's a very traditional Christian uh, uh, denomination and actually the largest Protestant denomination in the world. Catholic and Protestant, right? Um, So a lot of people say, well, David, wasn't that Jesus? I have never assumed it was Jesus. Mm. I didn't think they would send the boss. It was some junior apprentice from the warehouse, right? Mm. I always figured it it was just, it didn't matter who it was. Mm. He was love. And I, I certainly, you know, I say he was love and power and compassion and wisdom and humor and delight and friend. Well, it sounds like jesus Mm -hmm. yeah but it sounds like most spiritual entities right Mm -hmm. when we're talking about the christ consciousness right we're we're talking about the the foundational consciousness from which reality emanates and that Mm -hmm. i believe is love which means love is the highest state of consciousness it's not an emotion and we're all part of that so i don't care who he was uh, I care that he was, and then I got to meet him, and then I sense sometimes he's always with me.
0: How do you interpret his words of we are with you? Who do you think we are?
1: Good question. Um, we is the, uh, in the Christian church, we call it the, uh, the company of saints or the, the, the heavenly hosts, right? we is the spiritual beings that are part of the spectrum of consciousness right i think that there are many entities beyond the physical realm and plane and i think we are guided by them uh and uh, in in the church we we talk we talk about you know the saints and the angels but um that's that's a very reduced language to try to express uh, such a complex manifestation of life and consciousness uh, that we don't have the vocabulary Mm. to fully contain it. So I think I, for lack of better words, I have a a team of angels or spiritual guides that nudge me and are with me and thankfully have a good sense of humor about me Mm -hmm. and are patient with me when I just don't want to listen or I'm caught up in my ego Mm -hmm. or I'm bumbling along, right? Mm -hmm. Infinitely patient. Uh, Whoever they are, they're very good at what they do. I think they can take any mess that we create uh, or get into, and they can use it for the advancement of our evolution into love. So... Him and his team are, um, are people or people are beings I'm going to meet again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll get to know them uh, on the other side. For now, we talk mm-hmm. informally uh, every day. And um, I have cool things that happen, and I appreciate their guidance like you wouldn't believe.
0: You said that when you were back in your body, your ego kicked in again. When you were yeah. there... Did you feel like you were still David, or was David just this guy I played at one time, but I'm so much more than that?
1: There, I was more David, Mm. more me than I've ever been here. Mm. So I had identity. Now, that's not the same as having ego.
0: Mm. Oh, okay. Right?
1: I I understand ego as a uh, part of the identity experiment. The dimension of identity we wear in this realm to experience, right? Uh, the ego is a surface level of who I think I am, but the bulk of what and who I am lies beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I that's why I use the words I was integrated, congruent, and authentic. Mm-hmm. Here, I am. Fractured. I am. I am quite a bit of a mess. I am all over the place. I am not fully present. Uh, even in my, my meditative practice, I'm. I'm only sporadically present for maybe five seconds, and then I drift. Mm-hmm. Right. And I continue to trip myself up in life, and, and um, you know, become blind to many aspects of triggers in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. That's all part of the growth into love. So we try to have a sense of humor about it.
0: I believe a lot of people who have had NDEs who have not told anybody or have had any professional help watch this podcast. Can you give any advice to those people?
1: Yes. Uh, The vast majority of people who have had an NDE never have counseling uh, or support to integrate it. So I just want to affirm that if you've had this experience which will be unique to you you won't probably have the hill and the tree and the entity i encountered you will have one according to your life journey and story notice how you can't shake it notice how vivid and detailed the memory of it is unlike a dream which fades very quickly notice the energy of it notice the ache in your heart, the homesickness. Um, I encourage you to trust that it was real and that it is a beautiful gift and it is there to guide you, to remind you of what you truly are. Um, If you do want to unpack it, uh, I'm going to do a plug here. Please go to IANDS.org, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. You get a lot of material there that will help you understand the phenomenon. And uh, they have a repository of over 18,000 cases that stem, go back hundreds of years. This is a universal experience found in all cultures, all races, all language, all levels of uh, education, all age groups. Um, it is not impacted by uh, anything that, that we might think like uh, your belief doesn't tend to matter right it's a universal phenomenon Uh, and everyone comes back from it with the same basic message that it's all about the love and again i want to emphasize if god is love then love is not an emotion love is the highest state of consciousness and we are emanations from that Uh, so it's kind of like a, a wake up and a reminder of what's at your core and what you're headed for on the day of your transformation, which we call death.
0: I would say almost everybody who I have had a podcast with that has had an NDE has had after effects and or trouble managing it. With that in mind, do you think people are supposed to have NDEs or are they accidents? Uh, They
1: are a very common phenomenon that is most often a result of a brush with death. So, accident, no. Um, Is there an intention and a purpose in it? That's beyond my scope of practice, (laughs) Uh, right? Uh, But it happens and it can be used for your spiritual development in a very rapid way. Uh, One in ten people who have a cardiac episode or a a heart episode will have a spiritual experience, such as out-of-body or near-death, one in ten. As remember, heart disease is the number one cause of death in North America. Mm. Well, it was before COVID. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, you probably know somebody who's had a near-death experience. Um, it's it's that common. Uh, but people don't talk about it. And you know why, because you worry others will think you're crazy. Or that it was imagination, or it was hallucination from drugs, or you don't know what to do with it. So you compartmentalize it. You put it away. Um, Check out the INS website. There are support groups throughout uh, North America. Uh, Read up on it. Trust trust your gut. Trust your intuition. Trust that memory. Uh, It's a very good uh, study in a journal called PLOS One, very respected medical journal. They were looking at the detail and memories of people who had a near-death experience compared to those who uh, have a dream memory and those who have just average memory. And what they found was the detail and energetic, emotional charge and specificity and all the nuances of the near-death experiences were constantly off the charts compared to all of the others. It's a very vivid, embedded, embodied, unshakable reality that you have been transformed into and then returned from.
0: Mm.
1: Of course, it's a scientific journal, so (laughs) they couldn't conclude that this was because NDEs were real. So their conclusion said uh, it was hallucination because it did not occur in reality. All they needed to adjust was, uh, it is an unexplainable phenomenon because it did not occur in this reality. Mm. But it's still a good good study and it got published.
0: I think it's fascinating the way you described it as it's something that you can't shake. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Um you know, in uh, in the Christian
1: tradition and other spiritual traditions, religious traditions, we we talk about connecting to God, uh, being filled with spirit, the peace of God. Sometimes the uh, in in some traditions there is an ecstatic experience of spirit, uh, something people call being born again. Uh, this is a universal phenomenon of when you are apprehended by spirit, by love, by God, by whatever it is, the ground of being, the great mystery, the source. That changes you. Now that's focused on the experience of it while you're still here and not in mortal danger. When you are temporarily transformed back into the ground of being uh, without losing your individuality, uh, that is a rewiring of your consciousness. You can't undo that. Uh, it is going to stick with you, but because of this, a lot of people actually get messed up from it. You may notice that your longing to return home can't be satisfied by anything here, but you try anyway, whether that be, uh, you know, chocolate or gambling or, you know, mm. addiction rates are actually higher. Mm. Uh, amongst people who have a near-death experience, divorce rates are higher because Mm. they leave relationships which are not authentic to love. Mm. Uh, They often leave religious traditions if they are not supportive of, of that signature of love, of resonance. Remember, this is not an emotion. We're talking about love as a resonance and a whole state of consciousness. So you end up wondering, kind of, odd ducks in the world looking for home, but not knowing how to put your finger on it. Mm. Um, I remember for many, many years being so restless, longing to experience the completion once again. It's not like I wanted to kill myself. That that just is not part of the, the wiring. But you're homesick, and you're looking for a way to fill it and they just don't satisfy. So far from making you enlightened, it just makes you both heartbreakingly joyful and sad at the same time. And that's a secret world that you keep inside.
0: When you say that you're And I don't want this to become a. I'm like I don't. I hope this is not going to make anybody sad or down. But it made me think about this and trying to experience a little bit of what you experience. When you say you feel homesick, do you think it's also that you're? It's a feeling of loneliness. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, Thank you. That's that's it. Because when I was there. I was so fully connected, not only to him, but to everything. But here, I experienced myself as a fractured consciousness. I experienced separation from objects and people and environment. And I moved through it as a contained form.
0: Okay, so would I don't you, know. Would you call it isolation? Um. Isolation, which
1: is illusionary, right? Because all of us and all of reality arises from pure consciousness, what we call spirit. So we're never really separated. We're all plugged in, mm-hmm. and we're all particular manifestations of that ultimate potential reality. Right. So, if if any of your listeners are familiar with uh, quantum physics and the collapse of the wave function, it's I think it's the same sort of thing. Uh, when, we, when a photon is observed, it, it collapses and becomes a specific particle. But when it's not measured or observed, it remains as a p- potential waveform. Well, here, I like to think we are the uh, consciousness of the universe that has been made particular. And we all wander around thinking we're separate from each other. But ultimately, we are not. We are part of the waveform of love. And that is how the universe expands out over what seems to be billions of years, but is actually just a constantly changing eternal moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful creation. And there's a lot of joy in being involved in uh, being part of that intentionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, But
0: still, you have moments when you're just homesick for it. If there could be a lesson that people are supposed to get out of this or get from this, would you think it could be that we need to be more interconnected here with each other on on earth or do you think there's some other lesson
1: oh i think there is only one lesson
0: it is
1: uh for us to focus upon love when you focus upon love you will be practicing the greatest spiritual tradition you or or you know discipline you could ever practice uh, and when we focus on love, we repair the world. We remember who and what we are, and we help others remember it too. When we focus on love, we become uh, spiritually sane. We step out of the crazy insanity of uh, perceived separation. And we uh, in the Jewish tradition, we are practicing takkunlamm, right? We are a shard of the divine that is helping others remember that they are that reflected light. And we are repairing the mirror, uh, you know, and the glass through which that light shines. This means, and I say this with all my heart as a Christian pastor, that your spirituality is not determined by what you believe, as much as it is determined by how you love. For God is love. I think that's the one lesson that near-death experiences teach us. Uh, But (laughs) applying it is really hard because that means being loving and forgiving and compassionate to myself. Mm. That's a good point. And to others. Who may not deserve it? Right? So when you have someone in your life who is abusive or is hurtful, to be able to look upon those people, those who are swallowed by anger and rage or pain, and just recognize that they have forgotten who and what they are, you can honor the light in them even when they do not honor it in themselves. That doesn't mean you make yourself vulnerable or open yourself to abuse or pain, but it means you will see beyond their pain. You will not identify and define them by it or or that anger uh, you will also not stay embedded in that relationship. You will move on to ones that are loving and supportive. But this is a profound, courageous thing. The kind of love I'm talking about is a fierce, transformative force of justice and repair. It is not some soft, wishy-washy thing. Right? So this is, I think, our
0: project here on Earth. Since you're a Christian pastor and you've had this experience, when you look at the Bible and read the Bible, do you now read it with the lens of your near-death experience and see the Bible in a completely different way?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, The uh, I never expected that the scriptures would come to life like this. I read, especially St. Paul, who I never liked. Right? I always thought St. Paul was, you know, I judged him by today's, um, cultural standards, mm-hmm. but now I read him and I'm like, man, this guy—he had a near-death experience, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's in First Corinthians, uh, and when he's talking about love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, never boastful. Loved, you know. He's talking about that divine consciousness. Um, all of the uh, New Testament, to me, points to this relationship to the source, which is love. Uh, in fact, I, I invite your listeners, crack open the Bible. It may have some dust on it, but crack crack open the Bible, go to the New Testament, and I invite you, read it, but replace the name Jesus with the word love <laughs> and see what happens. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, right? I know it's filled with stories of violence and and a judging God, but it really is the story of our early development into a, into understanding what love is, what a loving society is, and the passion of the prophets and trying to correct a stubborn people and the, the the utter oppression and suffering that they were experiencing. Right? That's
0: that's the heart of it. And, The whole thing is a love story and i see the whole human journey as a love story what part of the bible first corinthians you know is it like first corinthians verse four chapter you have that i I want
1: to be not off the top of my head i'm pretty sure it's uh first corinthians uh um 13 second corinthians chapter 12 that's a very good one because saint paul says uh I know a guy, wink, wink, who was taken up to the third level of heaven, right? And and saw things that cannot be spoken of, right? And he, he talks about it in ways that people who have had a near-death experience will really recognize. He says, now, whether this was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, right? Yeah, like, I had a body, mm-hmm. but was I in a body? Mm-hmm. And um, when, you, when he says, I know a man who had this experience... He's trying to be modest and not boast about himself because the letter is written to a church that was filled with uh, religious leaders who were boasting about their spiritual gifts. Mm. And Paul was like, how how do I talk to these guys? Because I was awful. I was a guy who persecuted Christians, right? I never met Jesus in person. I slaughtered his followers, right? And then I had this conversion experience. Okay, I'll talk about it in the third person. Have a look at that. I explore that more in, in my book, um, but you could just pull it up on, on, um, on the internet and go, you know, St. Paul, near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Have a look. Yeah. And there are so many other passages. Mm-hmm. I especially love the passages in a tiny letter called the First Letter of John, and near the end of the Bible, where it's talking about God is love. So those who love know God, and God is within them. And those who don't love don't have God. Oh, my goodness. So love and God are synonyms. I don't need to believe. I just need to love. Because, heck, any belief system I have, no matter how tight the doctrine, it's probably going to fall far short of the wonders that are waiting for us. My little human brain just won't be able to put that into language. So mm-hmm. the churches do it as we can. The religions do it as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great adventure.
0: I had a guest on before, and he made the case, you seem to agree with him, that Paul had an NDE, but he also thought the resurrection of Christ was an NDE. What is your opinion of that? Um,
1: pretty interesting to angle on it uh i think the resurrection was a resurrection i i i i'm really struck by the details of those stories um because they're filled with people who doubted it it's not real right mary magdalene at the tomb you know it's not real and he had to say mary it's me look touch me and, and the disciples they, they were freaking out they were scared out of their minds and they locked themselves away mm. in uh, in an upper room because they thought right they killed Jesus now they're going to come kill us mm. and Jesus appears to them and and they're like what he says come on touch me right so that it's a very physical nature mm. right Saint uh, doubting Thomas come on man put your hand in the wound in my side so it's a very physical thing Um There are uh, paranormal stories throughout the Bible that are very congruent with what people experience um, these days. Um, So I I tend to take the resurrection at face value while recognizing it's going to be about more and bigger than my little brain can can understand. Mm
0: -hmm. After you've had this experience now, at this point in your life, do you fear death? No.
1: I am not afraid of death in any way. Uh, Dying's another issue. I have concerns about that when it happens again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you want that to be painless and fairly smooth. uh, But I have no fear of death. Mm -hmm. That's congruent with my patients. Right? I am a hospital chaplain. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have a church. I am in the cancer and palliative and intensive care units at my hospital uh, eight hours a day, five days a week. And I hear near-death experience stories every month, sometimes every week, Hmm. either from a patient who just had it or from someone in the family talking about, you know, years earlier, or they hear, they tell me a story of, oh yeah, that's what my father experienced, right? They saw angels or the spirits of uh, their loved ones who had died, you know, appearing. And I hear that all the time. It's really common. You think it's exceptional. You think it's rare, but think about this. If, If we and all of reality arise, from spirit then this must be a universal phenomenon western culture just doesn't know what to do with it Uh, but it's it's pretty universal
0: have you ever considered that your experience may be a gift because now you have certainty that your consciousness goes on
1: yes i i look upon it as a great gift um i'm but but you you must always be careful with the gift don't get arrogant about it. Don't go thinking, ooh, I'm special because I've had a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. You know, authentically it humbles you, and it, it calls you into loving service, right, into being love. And uh, other people may look upon you as special, but um, there is a uh, just a gratitude that is animated once again when you think about it and talk about it. I get emotional, right, when I talk about it because it still lives in me uh, and always will. So every time I'm with a person who's dying, and I've been with hundreds of people as they've died, I quietly silently from my heart say at the end of my prayer for them, right? I'm saying a prayer with all the confidence, right? I say may may Joe May Joe release his body with gratitude and his life without regret. May he be transported on the wings of angels to the wonder we cannot even imagine. May he be greeted by loved ones who have passed on and may he have great adventures ahead. I say that with such conviction because I know it. Mm. But at the same time, I recognize that I sort of touched my toe on the doorstep of heaven. I didn't go beyond that. So, what we are talking about is just a glimpse of the beginning. Maybe the afterlife is a lot more complicated than we could even comprehend, right? Mm. Maybe it goes in a different, you know, multitude of directions. Don't know. We're all going to find out one day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but uh, it's a big universe. And I think the afterlife is equally going to be more complicated and more beautiful than we can imagine.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that.
1: You know, especially uh, from what science tells us. Uh, you, you, you may think this is kind of odd, but my faith was um, really renewed by science. Uh, That's interesting. Cosmologists, cosmologists and physicists tell us that the reality we take as real which is the physical reality that you can feel and see, makes up 0.004% of the universe. It's the visible spectrum of light and matter. All of the matter throughout the electromagnetic spectrum, all of the matter that we cannot see, all of the atoms in the universe, that makes up 4% of the universe. 26% of the universe is made up of dark matter. Now that can only be uh, examined and observed through its effect upon the movement of galactic clusters, right, and and interstellar space, intergalactic space. And that means over 70% of the universe, of reality itself, is made up of dark energy, which is a scientific term for voodoo witchcraft. We don't know what the heck this Mm -hmm. stuff is, but it fits in the math. Yet humanity Western modern humanity bases its entire construct of reality, places all of its chips upon the 0.004% that we can see. And so they assume when you die, that's it, and you don't continue. That's a really short-sighted view in light of what science has to tell us. And um, I love how that dovetails with what spirit tells us. What do you
0: think our purpose here is Uh, on Earth?
1: We are, as is all the universe, uh, part of a mosaic creative expression of the animating life force from which our reality is emanating and sustained. I look upon us as part of uh, an artist's canvas. Uh, It is not enough for I'll use the word God uh, to simply be um, creative life intelligence source must separate from self in order to create experience and reflect back upon self. And once you have two entities that separate from self, there is a third, because there's the relationship between the two. Now, in the Christian tradition, we call that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Buddhist, in the Hindu tradition, it's, you know, Krishna and Shiva and, and um, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> can't, can't forget the third name, all right? There, there's a Trinity relationship there. Uh, there's this, you know, in, in the Jewish tradition, there's the, the, the father, Elohim, right? And there's this spirit, the Shekinaya, right? Which is another word for breath. Um, it, it's present, in all religious traditions, and I think that God as primary source keeps separating from self to reflect back. and in that multiplicity of infinite separations, the universe is manifest, and so are you and I. Right? So it's all part of uh, as God conceives, spirit creates and the universe experiences. perhaps in the same way as our soul conceives, our mind creates and our body experiences. right? Is that the image? of God, uh, all of it arising from the ground of being in a constantly changing eternal now, simply to add to the experience and expansion of love itself.
0: What is your opinion about time? And maybe you can preface it as, when you were there, um, did you have any orientation to time? And I believe you said that while you were gone, you were gone for 15 minutes. Did it feel yeah. longer than 15 minutes?
1: Time took on a completely new construct. Uh, I wasn't aware of a passing of time. I was only aware of the now. And that was the same as all time. Um, we walked. I took step after step. But there wasn't a passage of one step separate from another. Um the tree was in the distance, but I could feel it, like I was it. And the grass was all around me, but I was aware of everything. Here, time is part of the mortal experience, the material experience, and so it must be because time is, you know, a uh, um, an aspect of relationship, and in Newtonian. Uh, reality, uh, an aspect of gravity, uh, and is a flexible um, construct. I I see it as uh, much more like the uh, string of an instrument, which can be tuned and stretched and compressed and can resonate out with a different note. So time is part of the tools of the universe construction and experience.
0: All right, David, are you a public person or private? And what I mean by that is, do you have a Facebook page and do you interact with people or are you more private?
1: Uh, well, while I'm an introvert, <laughs> I am a public figure. So uh, I have um, a website, uh, davidmcginley.com, and that's M-A-G-I-N-L-E-Y. It's a different uh, spelling of it, davidmcginley.com. And from there, you can go to my Facebook page and I have Instagram and um, I have a YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, all of that's out there. Uh, that's because I went and wrote this book, right? I procrastinated about this. Uh, I had wanted to write this book for 10 years, but I, I didn't, mm-hmm. because I didn't feel I was ready. But the constant swimming and suffering... And exposure to such beauty and love uh, in the midst of that just came bursting out of me, finally. And the book, very much, I feel, written in partnership with spirit, just came pouring out. And um, all the social media and the the public stuff is to support the book and and, uh, everything that's evolved from that. It's interesting. I've always been a mediocre student. Hmm. I've never liked writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this book just came pouring through. And I was astonished when it was received with such acclamation from the critics. And then uh, the darn thing re- received the Nautilus Book Award. Wow. Uh, do you know, like, the Dalai Lama's received that. Bishop Desmond Tutu's received that. I mean, so, uh or Rinpoche's, Perceive that who who am I to be in that company? I just wanted my parents to read it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but it's beautiful, and now it's affected and supported thousands of lives and people facing cancer, and uh, it's out there doing so much more than I could do one-on-one with my patients, and I, I I'm just so grateful for that.
0: Well, I can totally get it how the book's done so well because as a guest you have been so good at putting your experience to words and explaining it. And I don't mean to say that the other people are bad, but I mean, you just have a great ability to do that. And I feel like I've learned more about the experience from you tonight than I have in quite a while. Thank you. Thank you. I'm,
1: uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, the experts that I've drawn from who, who have taught me. Uh, You know, one of the best ways to sound intelligent is to quote someone else, (laughs) and uh, I I really pulled from their expertise.
0: Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Speaking of your book, how does one get it, on your website or on Amazon or all of the above? Yeah,
1: all of the above. You can go to my website, uh, and uh, you can go to Amazon. uh, Read the reviews, please, uh, and uh, you can order it from them any major any bookstore can order it uh it's in chapters and indigo and uh all the, all the booksellers will provide it as well and it's available in paperback uh ebook and audiobook which um was really fun to do i uh mm. i enjoyed i enjoyed that as much as i don't like my own voice i'm i'm glad that i i did that
0: that's great do you have any other projects that you're working on that you want us to know about like are you writing a second book or Anything else?
1: I'm writing a second book, um, and this is much harder. Uh, the second book is not about near-death experiences. The the second book is about um, medically assisted death. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: this is a controversial, um, very hot to- topic. Uh, in Canada, we called it medical assistance in dying. In the United States, it's called physician-assisted death. You call it euthanasia. Um, It is being legalized in some countries. uh, The vast majority of countries don't legalize it. Canada does. And um, it presents uh, a lot of spiritual issues which are not adequately explored. So I'm writing a book to to do that. Mm -hmm. It's extremely challenging. And I have um, some uh, events coming up that are Actually, for hospitals and hospitals and and for healthcare to uh, support them as they deal with compassion fatigue during COVID and burnout, um, this this pandemic is taking such a toll upon healthcare workers. So, trying to support them in in that, uh, and just trying to shine and share the love mm-hmm. in any way that I'm called to do. I I think I'm doing the work they sent me back
0: to do. Since you're surrounded by men of medicine, science, allopathic physicians, how do they respond when you talk to them about near-death experiences?
1: I'm very, very grateful for the support of the professional medical community. Um, This material has been well-received. Uh, as I presented to hospitals, uh, medical conferences. Uh, At uh, at my own hospital, we have grand rounds. And my presentation on near-death experiences was the highest attended and highest rated of all of them over the years. People are keenly interested. And when you can present it, intelligently addressing the very good uh critical uh, explanations such as hypoxia right or or e e g surges or right uh you know um uh perhaps it's uh you know aspects of epileptic seizure or is it um you know there's so many medical explanations uh and i address each of those and uh show why those don't hold water. And then going into that model of consciousness and the understanding of the nature of the universe and what science tells us, how the brain is probably a reducing valve for uh, what might be called quantum consciousness to manifest in us, and good models of consciousness, right? Consciousness. The, The big question is not, is there a God? The big question is, what the heck is consciousness? It is the biggest mystery to science and to medicine. Uh, I invite your listeners to have a look at what I consider to be the most robust scientific model of consciousness there is. And this is fantastic. Dr. Stuart Hameroff, professor of anesthesiology in Arizona State University, and Dr. Roger Penrose, expert in quantum physics and black holes, worked with Stephen Hawking, have uh, a theory called uh, orchestrative objective reductionism, in which quantum consciousness manifests to our body just go to quantumconsciousness.org and uh, go down the rabbit hole if you want to take that red pill. Uh, and they're fantastic scientific models which animate and excite spiritual traditions uh, and sp- express their wisdom in a modern, intelligent language appropriate for our age. I, I think this is the future of spirituality. Science and uh Wisdom traditions, spiritual traditions are increasingly speaking the same language. But uh, the formulas, right, are are different. One uses theology and the other uses math. But um, it's all just magic and beauty and points in the same direction.
0: Have you ever used a VR device like what the kids use for gaming? I did try it a couple of times, but I got dizzy. Well, my son just got a, and I'm not, I'm not plugging them, but for Christmas he got this. uh, It's called an Oculus Quest Two, and it's a gaming device. You know, you put it on, and and you're in another world. Like reminds me of when I was telling him because my kids haven't watched much, if barely any. I was saying, hey, this is like the holodeck in Star Trek. You know, it's like you're in another world. It's amazing, and I kind of felt like I had a little. Just a taste of what someone like you guys have experienced. Because when I took it was so it was pretty amazing. This world that it generated, and when I took it off, I was like, "Oh, I'm back here."
1: What a cool
0: parallel! Whoa, that's a fantastic model. Um, I would love someone. But ironically,
1: like to-
0: it's. I'm sorry, I was going to say, I'd love someone like you to to be in that and see what you would experience.
1: Well, I'm excited about that idea because the latest scientific model of reality of the universe, which Stephen Hawking wrote about in a letter that in a paper that was published just after his death, is that we live in a hologram. We live in a a projection from a higher dimensional reality. This is the the most uh, accepted and it's exciting scientific model of what we think is real so actually that when you die it's like you've taken off the uh the goggles and you see the new reality for what it is in in our world you put on those goggles and the reality you're experiencing is so convincing and so cool Um, but this reality is more real than the holographic reality in the same way dimension we call spirit or heaven is more real than this reality which is a projection a very convincing illusion as einstein said Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool
0: it's funny that you said that because i had thought that later myself as like almost exactly what you said is like well what if You know, when I take the glasses off, and you know that was Earth, and if I came back, and but instead of being oh, back here in my, you know, where I'm at, if I was in an amazing place, and I'm like, yeah, I'm back. Yeah, yeah, that's very much what I felt during
1: my near-death experience. Mm -hmm. I knew that place. I knew it as home. That's why I said I'm home. And you also feel it as home because suddenly you're back to yourself. You're not suppressing or blind to any aspect of you. You are whole and complete and naked and held in the animating force of love. So you're home. Mm -hmm. Ah, It's good to know I'll, I'll get back there. And
0: it's good to remember that I
1: arise from it every moment anyway.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, I am constrained by time on this podcast. So before we go, can you give us one last message?
1: When in doubt, uh, when in doubt about your beliefs, if there's a God, if there's hope, if there's purpose in this world, grow where you're planted. Shine where you are. Be the love, however inadequate you feel, however awkwardly you do it. Strive simply to love. That's the advice. Uh, I recognize that it's hard. It sounds simple, but it's it's not easy. Especially since when we do not know how to love, we often end up injuring the people we love. Mm. Keep trying to love. And you'll be doing the most spiritual, noble, transformative healing thing you could ever imagine.
0: Thank you for that. And thank you for being my guest. It's been a fantastic podcast. I really enjoyed having you. And I wish you massive success on the next book. And when it comes out, let's get you back on the podcast.
1: That would be a pleasure. I'm really glad to chat with you and and your listeners. Thank you for for having me on.
0: Thank you for being a guest. Have a good evening.
1: You too. Bye-bye.